Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. Today, host Bev Livingston opens our hour as she speaks with Kyle J. Smith, founder and executive director of Determination Incorporated. The vision of Determination Incorporated is the ultimate end of mass incarceration by helping formerly incarcerated people start viable hiring businesses. Determination Incorporated wants to empower formerly incarcerated people to seize employment and entrepreneurial opportunity to in home building, home improvement, and affordable housing. We'll play the calendar in the middle of our hour. During the second half of our hour, Keith and Latara Carnes of KC Freedom Project speak with Bobby Bostick. Keith Carnes was wrongfully convicted and met Bobby in prison. Bobby was not innocent of the crime for which he was convicted, but he had been given a sentence of 241 years, making him eligible for parole when he would be 112. Bobby Bostick was serving the longest sentence in Missouri given to a juvenile for non-homicide offense. His case attracted considerable media attention in later years due to changing laws regarding life sentences for minors and the severity of his sentence. In 2021, a new law was passed in Missouri and this allowed Bobby Bostick to apply for parole. His application was approved and he was released on November 9, 2022. Keith Carnes was exonerated. Now, Keith and Bobby will speak with each other for the first time on the outside of the bars. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show. Okay, greetings, Kyle. May I introduce you as one of the most amazing guests I've interviewed on Jaws of Justice. We're about to share information, empowerment, and inspiration via Determination Incorporated. Good morning, Bev. Thank you so much. That is so kind of you. And it's an honor to be here with you. Thank you for being here. I want to get started with the mission of Determination Incorporated. I know that there was an introduction and it talked about what you do, but I'd like for you to just tell us about your mission and how this vision um, has come into um, execution and what you guys are doing at Determination Incorporated that makes you different than any of the other programs that are here for people returning from having been incarcerated. Absolutely. Thank you. So Determination Incorporated is a nonprofit that we started in 2018. And we have fancy ways of saying our mission, but the quick version is we help formerly incarcerated people start and grow businesses. And to your point about how we're different from the other amazing reentry nonprofits and programs that are out there, well, we're specifically focused on entrepreneurship. Um, when I started the organization in 2018, I worked at a nonprofit out of UMKC called KC SourceLink, which acts as a central hub for all the entrepreneurial support organizations around Kansas City. And I got into that work interested in entrepreneurship as a pathway out of poverty and started to look around for a community that I could support. And I started to hear about reentry and how unnecessarily difficult it is for our brothers and sisters coming home from incarceration to reintegrate into their community. Um, I'm sure I don't need to tell you this or tell this to your audience, but people face huge hurdles in terms of housing, employment, rebuilding relationships. It's just incredibly difficult after a season of incarceration to come back and have a fresh start. And unfortunately, our society holds so much against people who have a felony on their record. It's a scarlet letter that unfortunately people carry for the rest of their life. But as I was hearing these stories of how difficult reentry can be, I was also learning of formerly incarcerated people who were starting successful businesses after incarceration. And they were finding financial freedom and economic opportunity through entrepreneurship. So I said to myself, I wonder if we could do this better together as a community, if we brought together formerly incarcerated people in entrepreneurship and supported one another on that journey. And we took it from there. 
So every year since we've done our best to better serve the folks who we have set out to serve. And we've also done our best every year to take one more step toward the vision of our organization. And that vision is that formerly incarcerated people by starting viable hiring businesses will help to solve the problem of recidivism and ultimately end mass incarceration. And that vision starts with people starting businesses that make money, that hire others, and we just build on that momentum from there. I really love the approach that you use because taking the strength-based, high-touch, community-centric approach to helping second chance, entrepreneur-spirited people build financial freedom and intergenerational wealth through business ownership is the key to staying free, to being able to take care of families, to improve our communities, and to do the awesome job that I see being done out of your business at 1701 Troost. When I stepped into that building the day that I think I came there for either a round table or something that you were doing with the mayor and saw how you have made that building, which I think you probably took that building on when it really needed to be renovated and some other things done to it. And and I stepped into a place that was energized and warm and welcoming for people who need that second chance, who need for that person to take them under their wing and give them a community support system that says they have a place to go grow and make money by doing something that they have envisioned themselves doing. I mean, there's a lot of time on your hands when you're incarcerated and it's not about just playing, you know, sports and exercising and coming out all buffed up. It's about using that time to build a business idea or your future. And the people that I met who are a part of the Determination Inc. were people who have businesses from from cleaning commercial business to lawn care business to what was mentioned earlier about the renovations and the housing building, um, making communities look better, feel better, and perform better because everybody is putting in the work. And I didn't meet anybody in that particular session that was looking for something to do. They were already engaged in doing wonderful things and it's because of you opening the door and many other people who support Determination Inc. providing a means for people to have jobs, to create jobs, and to make a living for themselves and their families. Can we talk a bit about the programs that you offer through Determination, Inc.? Absolutely, Bev. Uh, so first, I just want to clarify real quick. The, our location at 17th and Troost, uh, we're lucky to be involved. That's a co-working space called Trades Co-working that is specifically for small contractors, not just formerly incarcerated people. And we're lucky to have our community as a part of their community, which is something that I want to point out about Kansas City. Uh, when I worked at KC SourceLink, they act as a central hub for over 260 entrepreneurial support organizations around Kansas City. Kansas City is a great place to start and grow a business. And Bev, here's how I say it in our in-prison workshops. I always say that starting a business is going to be hard, but it never has to be lonely. There's a community who wants to see you succeed and wants to support you through that process. And everything that we do at Determination Incorporated is in the context of relationship and in the context of community. And those programs that we run that you asked about, so we have an in-prison workshop called Back to Business. Before COVID, this was an eight session workshop where we 
covered different topics related to starting or growing a business in each session and gave people a head start on their business plan, their action plan and budget so that when they got home, they could hit the ground running on that business plan and have a relationship with someone to help them in that business and also to connect them with other resources in Kansas City's reentry organization. Uh, COVID took us out of the prisons for a couple years, but this year we've gotten back into the prisons. We're not in a position just yet to do our full eight session workshop again, but we are still going in whenever they host I call them reentry resource fairs. Whenever the staff members invite resources from the community to introduce them to folks who are headed home. So that's our first workshop. Our second workshop is our twice monthly Be The Boss business support group. So this is where we bring together our second chance entrepreneur community twice a month on the second and fourth Thursdays in the evening on Zoom for education and accountability. So in each one of those workshops, we cover a different topic related to starting and growing a business. And we also do an accountability circle and practice our elevator pitches. Because that's the thing about entrepreneurship, ain't nobody gonna do it for you. If people wanna succeed in business, just like you said, Bev, you have to be willing to put in the work day after day and take care of yourself and ask questions and learn and all of that good stuff, but put in the work day after day. And you have to be very accountable for your actions, especially if you are trying to open the next chapter in your life and have a fresh start. And people may be able to dig into your history and see there's some stuff back there that maybe causes them worry. You know, that's where all these stigmas in our society come from. But when you're able to build a relationship with someone who's different than you, who's had a different life experience than you, and see that they can change and they can grow and they can hold solid to their values, that's how we break down the stigmas around people with criminal backgrounds. And our last program, our Rise Up Get Started program, this program evolves every year. And we started it as a pitch competition. The past couple years have done a matching grant program. And in the next year, our Rise Up Get Started program will be called Rise Up Get Started Capital Ready. And here's the basic idea. I mentioned that Kansas City is a great place to start and grow a business. There are lots of small business loans out there. There are business grant competitions that come around every year. And both of these things have applications that are 70 to 90% the same thing. So we're putting together a six to eight month process where we can help the second chance entrepreneurs that we serve prepare for those opportunities by working on their business plan, by formalizing their business, setting it up with the government, EIN, business permit, all that good stuff, by working on their financial projections, their five minute video, everything that goes into these opportunities so that they can get capital to help grow their businesses. So that's what we're gearing up for in the next year. And I'll go ahead and say out loud, I know you'll give me a chance to do it again later, Bev, but if people want to follow our organization and learn about our programs, go follow Determination Incorporated on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. You can sign up for our newsletter at our website, unlockeship.org. If you're paying attention to Determination Incorporated, you'll hear about the opportunities that we have coming down the pipe. Totally awesome. You are definitely providing formerly incarcerated people viable business opportunities, and you're also addressing and will help solve the problem of recidivism and ultimately in mass incarceration. I think teamwork is making the dream work here. I love the way you're, you reach out to grassroots organizations, as well as the business community, as well as getting all of Kansas City on board and an opportunity to work together. The one thing that I'd like to help our listeners understand is why is it that persons who are formerly incarcerated and once a person knows that this person has been formerly incarcerated, there are so many hoops that they have to jump through to try to prove themselves worthy of a chance. When I was at your session and I looked around the room, I could not tell 
who had been formerly incarcerated and who had not been. Everybody was so suited and booted and just looked very appropriate and nobody had the the sign blinking on their forehead that said formerly incarcerated. So what are some of the things that you think causes persons that have been to stand out, to be profiled, to be that person there. We've got banned the box off applications, and I remember doing a lot of lobby work and helped to make that no longer something that would hold people back. What do you think it, it is? Do you think the formerly incarcerated person brings that to the forefront, or do you think people just make that judgment based on what they've heard? I think the latter is a big part of it, a judgment based off what they heard. And the root of all of it is fear. I mean, there is so much in our society that just forces us to fear people who have been to prison, to fear formerly incarcerated people. And I think unless people begin to build actual relationships with folks who have gone through that journey, they will continue just to rely on the image of a felon that they've seen in a movie or a criminal that they've heard about on television. Because those are the only stories we hear in the nightly news, right? When people have done something wrong. Occasionally we'll hear a redemption story, but they don't even begin to drown out all of the negative news that we'll hear. and. Bev, I also think you said something very important in there. You said that formerly incarcerated people have to work way harder than anyone else to even get the benefit of the doubt. They're not even granted the benefit of the doubt. And here's something that I've started to wrap my head around in the past year is that I think it is important that we as a society begin to lend the benefit of the doubt to more people because we know that mass incarceration and how many people are in prison and how many people have criminal records is about a lot more than people just making bad decisions because we've over-criminalized addiction, mm-hmm. we've over-criminalized poverty, uh, the history of segregation and racism in this community, in, in this nation is still alive and well, and the, the negative consequences of that we're still feeling every single day in our neighborhoods. So too many people have criminal records, too many people have been incarcerated. And so we need to extend the benefit of the doubt to more people who have a criminal record. But here's the important piece. Here's what I want, especially your listeners who are formerly incarcerated to hear, is that if someone has extended you the benefit of the doubt, we are all still responsible. You are still responsible for building trust with that person. And trust means that you're dependable, that you say what you're going to do, that you are a person of your word, that you are excellent in everything that you do. And trust takes time. So after someone has extended you to the benefit of the doubt, you still have to go through the hard work of being a human with another human and building a positive relationship and building trust. And I do think that there are too many situations where someone has been extended the benefit of the doubt and then they've broken trust. And you know what we say, one bad apple can ruin the whole bunch. And unfortunately, there are too many bad apple stories out there that just continue this cycle of fear that's plaguing our community. But every time that someone has been extended the benefit of the doubt and then has built trust and continued to be the good person that they want to be and the good person that they want to see in other people's lives, well, that's when healing starts to happen. And eventually, love can overcome fear. And that's a long journey that I don't know how much I'm going to see in my lifetime, but I'm here for it, and I'm trying to be on the side of love. Well, you're certainly putting the work in, as I was reminding some people to tune in today and announced you as the guest, I was getting feedback like, he's a great guy, he's a wonderful person, he's a good Mm. businessman, yada, yada, yada. And I was so happy to be able to pass that on to you because the profiling, the narrative needs to change, the attitudinal change that needs to happen toward persons coming back from incarceration is happening at Determination Inc. I'd like for you to give our listeners that website again because I'm sure somebody out there listening who just needs more information who needs to get on board with this because this is a winner. I've been involved in the advocacy work for incarcerated 
people for 12 years now. And this is one of the programs that I truly believe is working and will continue to work. Uh, real quick, how many people a month can you say you serve and are involved in just coming on board with the program? Yeah, through all of our programs and also through workshops that we do with reentry organizations and inside of prisons, we touch on average 50 formerly incarcerated people a month. And our website that you asked for, uh, if someone remembers the long name, Determination Incorporated, they can go to determinationincorporatedallspelledout.com or .org. But the shorter website is unlock the letter E ship as in short for entrepreneurship, unlockeship.org. And again, Determination Incorporated is on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Awesome. I am wanting to give our audience an opportunity to hear maybe a couple of the success stories that you want to share of business people who are now just rocking and rolling and taking care of their family and have made Determination Inc. extremely proud of how they have come through the storm, gotten past all the the hoops, and are now a stable, growing business. Does any come to your mind? Yeah, let me share it big picture, and then I'll get really specific. Okay. So in our Rise Up, Get Started program last year, we had uh, 13 people who completed that program. And it was about half and half folks who were in the idea stage of their business and folks who were focused on their businesses part or full time. Of those who were focused on their businesses part or full time, their average annual revenue was $50,000, which is above the national average for a micro enterprise in the United States. Um, one gentleman did $150,000 in his business and another gentleman did over half a million in his business. Um, he's an outlier. We didn't put him into our data uh, because it was so much above what others had done and he had run his business longer. But that just gives everyone an idea that folks are starting businesses that are beginning to make money. And more and more, Bev, we're working with folks who are at that stage where they're out there, one man shop, growing their businesses, growing their brand, and they realize that they need to start hiring people in order to really grow their ability to make money in their business. And that's exactly where we wanna be as an organization. Cause like I said earlier, our vision is that folks have viable hiring businesses. Um, so one person I'll share real quick, uh, his name is Robert Miller. And um, Robert got out of prison in about, forgive me if I'm getting these dates wrong exactly, but 2015 um, and there's a really cool part of Robert's story that I want to share here. So when Robert first got home, when he was in prison, he got trained as an electrician. And when he first got home, he wanted to start working in construction. And so he started visiting construction sites here in Kansas City. And the first job he picked up wasn't an electrician business. It was actually a cleaning uh, job on a construction site. And the person who hired Robert in that construction cleaning company was one of our board members, Sarah Montine, who when she got out of prison a decade ago, started a construction cleaning company. So a formerly incarcerated entrepreneur gave Robert his first chance home from prison, which is another beautiful example of our vision coming to life. So uh, very soon after, Robert got his job in an electrical business doing construction and did that for about four years. And then last year, he stepped out on his own and started his own business uh, doing electrician work. Rome Electric and Smart Home Automation is the name of that. And Robert participated in our Rise Up Get Started matching grant program last year. Um, and he's continued to grow his business and grow his revenue this year as compared to last year. And this year, he also, after finishing our program, went on to participate in another program in Kansas City's entrepreneurial community called Rising Trades. And I recently went to Robert's Rising Trades graduation and uh, got to see the pitch that he was sharing with the audience there. And he was talking about the Rising Trade cohort is specifically about getting minority-owned construction businesses into green efforts. And so Robert has started exploring how to install EV charging stations for cars, mm -hmm. for electronic cars, how to install those commercially and residentially. And he's looking at that as an avenue to grow his business. Awesome. So, 
yeah, definitely a shining example of what our journey is all about. Well, we've got about two minutes left, and I want to um, also give our audience um, just a little bit of information about the Strong Start and let them know that opportunity awaits. You can't, you know, like make them get this. They've got to want it, but if they want it, it's there. So tell us about Strong Start in about 30 seconds and then anything you want to wrap up with. We've got two minutes. Absolutely. So Strong Start is our newest program that we just started piloting. So it's been our goal since we launched the organization to start a business ourselves so that we could hire people right when they get home from prison. And so we've started piloting that business this summer. It's called Strong Start Make Readies. A Make Ready crew is a construction crew that goes into an empty rental unit in between tenants and gets it ready for the tenant. Uh, cleaning, painting, minor repair. And so in the new year, we're gonna continue growing that business. And hopefully before too long, you'll start to see public announcements about us hiring our first formerly incarcerated crew members. And our goal there is to just build a more sure-footed path from prison into entrepreneurship. So our goal is that after working with us for a year, we help people find their next better paying job in construction or set up their own business and we become their first customer. So hopefully good things to come with Strong Start in the community support is very necessary. Totally awesome, Kyle. As you continue to help people heal, work, and grow, I can see families coming together, and I really, really appreciate the work that you're doing in Kansas City and beyond. May those who are formerly incarcerated not hesitate to reach out to Determination Incorporation and let us let the the society see what good can come from working together. Teamwork does make the dream work. Thank you, Kyle, for your time today and for your continued successful work in our community. Thank you, Bev. This has been a huge honor. Did you know your business or organization could be sponsoring this episode of Jaws of Justice Radio? Learn more at kkfi.org slash marketing. Let's explore, let's question, let's decolonize together on Ebony's Bones. Tune in every Wednesday from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. KKFI is the Kansas City area's independent, non-commercial community radio station. We seek to stimulate, educate, and entertain our audience to reflect the diversity of the local and world community and to provide a channel for individuals and groups, issues and music that have been overlooked, suppressed, or underrepresented by other media. And that is the KKFI mission statement. Thank you for listening. Now the calendar for the week of December 12th. Legal Aid of Western Missouri provides free civil legal services for low-income and vulnerable people in Jackson County, Missouri. Interested individuals can call 816-474-6750 to apply. Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America is a very active group of mothers and others. You can learn where their virtual meetings this week will occur at momsdemandaction.org. Wednesday, December 14th at 5.30 p.m. is the Kansas City Vigil for Victims of Gun Violence at the intersection of Westport Road and State Line, Kansas City, Missouri. You can gather with moms from the KC metro area, including Johnson County, Wyandotte County, Kansas City, Missouri, and North Kansas City to honor the memories of the Sandy Hook tragedy and all victims of gun violence in our communities. You're encouraged to bring your own signs. Battery candles will be provided. RSVP at act.everytown.org. Today, Monday, December 12th at 6 p.m., Moore Square Monthly Issues to Action meeting is online. This is held every second Monday of the month Leaders and members from across the metro gather online to advance racial and economic equity. The meetings are open to anyone who's interested in getting involved. The Zoom link is available at moresquare.org. Friday, December 16th at 11 a.m., the Community Justice Coalition Call is sponsored by Empower Missouri. 
For more info, go to empowermissouri.org. A list of services, meals, and hotlines specific to sheltering is available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. That's updated daily. My name is Terry, reminding you that these events and more can be found on the Jaws of Justice radio page on the KKFI website, kkfi.org, as well as on the Jaws of Justice Facebook page. Stay safe. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. We'll now return to our show. Hello, everyone. And thank you for tuning in to KKFI 90.1 FM, Jaws of Justice. I'm your host, Keith Carnes of the KC Freedom Project with my co-host, Latar Carnes. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Keith, for having me. I really appreciate you allowing me to be in on your show today. It's very special for me to be here with you today, seeing as though you yourself was innocent, wrongly convicted, just recently released from prison. So it is a blessing to be here doing the show with you today. Yes, yes. Me and my friend Bobby Bossett did time together. He did 27 years. I was locked up on the wrong for conviction. He had the juvenile. In fact, his case made the Bobby Bostic law. Is yes. that right, Bobby? That's right, man. Uh, it was up here a struggle, but by me being sentenced at age, as you uh, mentioned, I was given more time than any juvenile in history in the history of Missouri. And uh, the uh, lawmakers saw how much of an injustice that was. And with the help of the judge who sentenced me coming back, they changed the law and it allowed any juvenile who was given over 15 years to be able to go for pro in 15 years. So that was a blessing for all of us to get that second chance. Right. So let, let me say something real quick, Bobby, because people here in Kansas City, Missouri, they're not familiar with you and your case because your case is out of the St. Louis uh, side of Missouri, okay? So for our yeah. listeners here in Kansas City, Mr. Bobby Bostic, what, at the age of 16 years old, was sentenced to 241 years in prison, which we know is like life without parole. And Mr. Bostic, if I read correctly, you would have not had parole that case until you were, what, 112 years old? Oh, yeah, it was 112 years at first. Well, the day I was sentenced, when the judge sentenced me, she uh, told me I would die in the Department of Corrections. And she said, you don't go for parole to the year of 2,235. So at first I couldn't go for parole till I was like 212 years, right? But uh, in time, the, the uh, government changed it when the uh, United States Supreme Court uh, released a decision called Graham versus Florida, which said if you had a non-homicide, you couldn't have life without parole. But Missouri uh, switched it and took 100 years off for parole purposes, and that allowed me to go for parole when I was 112. But we all know that uh, I can't live to be 112. But Missouri played word games and said, okay, well, you don't have life without, you just got uh, a living death sentence, and technically by law, you, you're allowed to die in prison. So uh, I was going to die in prison regardless, even though the U.S. Supreme Court has said what they said about kids' brains not developing, uh, Missouri is going to allow me to die in prison until uh, – some lawmakers changed the law in Missouri. Yeah. Thank God that the judge had a change of heart and jumped on your side and saw that what she did was wrong and advocated for you to get free, you know. Um, so you, you did 27 years? Yeah, I did 27 years, man. Uh, that was a long time, but I'm blessed to be here today. So even though it was injustice, right, and we all know it was, but uh, look what came out of it. Uh, my sacrifice and my struggle allowed uh, other juveniles to be able to go for pro when they was never getting a second chance. So uh, it was something I had to go through. I had to grow yeah. and develop inside prison. Were you ever given any kind of plea deals or anything like that? Yeah, when I was uh, first locked up, about my fourth or fifth, sixth month in, they offered me 30 years where they offered me a soft life, which equals 30 years. So they offered me a 30-year sentence. And uh, in my mind, at 16, 30 years is, is forever. You know, when you're 16, you can't see doing 30 years. You can't see doing 10 years, less than a year at 16. So when they offered me 30 years of a soft life, uh, I said, no, nah, even though I'm guilty of my crimes, 
I didn't go to trial because I said I was innocent. I went to trial because I figured that the jury would be easy on me than the court system would. So I took my faith in the hands of the jury, even though I was guilty of the crime. Right. 241 years, you would think if murder was attached to it or something. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, back then, uh, when I was sentenced, uh, 1995, when I came to prison, uh, in order to go to a maximum security prison, you had to have 30 years or more. Right. And uh, by me being in a maximum security prison, uh, I'm going to say seven out of 10 people had murders because to be serving over 30 years, you had to do a serious crime. So uh, at my age, what kids need to know too, man, when I went to prison at 18, I was uh, the youngest person at Crossroads Correction Center at that time, right? But uh, what kids need to understand is that nobody cared that you were a kid, man. Then nobody uh, deal with me with kid gloves because I was a kid. In fact, they look at you as they need to treat you harshly and teach you a lesson because if you want to be this young in prison, then you're going to get treated like a grown man. So when you go to prison, it's not some uh, a playing ground where they're going to treat you first because you're a kid. In fact, the guards and the inmates are going to be rough on you because you're so young and here with them. So it's, it's all type of consequences that come with committing crimes as juveniles. What kids need to know, man, is that this is not a joke, right? When you come to prison, especially when you come with a heavy sentence like we did, right? As me and you saw each other on the yard every day, uh, we was fighting for years to get to our families, man. So to be, to even be, for me and you to be sitting here is a miracle, man. I mean, people would know that, but it's a struggle we had to go through to get here because everything that you filed, the attorney general tried to deny it and say, okay, you're guilty, even though the records clearly say that you was innocent of the crime you was locked up for. Right. But I walked the yard with you every day, and it took years, though. I mean, it, they ain't corrected overnight. It took years, but during those right. years, you suffered all types of stuff. You went to acid, stuff you didn't do. You had to deal with inmates. You had to deal with all type of madness. You could have lost your life in here by uh, inmates that, that's violent and they don't care, but you were trying to fight to get home to your family. And, and it's like nobody cared that you was innocent. You were just one of us. I mean, yeah. even though some of the inmates believe you was innocent, but to us, you was just another prisoner. I knew you was innocent. I knew you had a gift and you had something off the world, but other inmates, you was just one of them. They didn't care if you was innocent or not. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I remember those walks and those talks and it seemed like we were in our own little world, just... Yeah, but... Man, that was... Well, Bobby, I want to take hope. you back... I want to take you back to something that you said, okay, which is very important. You you sent a message to our youth, right. okay? And um, I want any youth who is listening or anyone who is listening that has, you know, youth in their family, please go back and play this interview uh, for them because youth need to know trouble's very easy to get in, but it's hard to get out of. And at the age of 16, you were sentenced to 241 years in prison, okay? That's a long, long time. And you were sentenced to that for a non-homicidal crime. And you were the youngest teenager, correct, that had yeah. a sentence as such. And so, you know, we need the youth to know that this can happen. This can happen. If it happened to you, it could happen to them as well. Right, right along with wrongful convictions, being overly charged, constitutional rights being violated in so many different ways that the system can trap you for decades and decades. And the younger, the better is how the system looks at it because they know the younger you are, the you're going to be quicker to go play basketball or be sidetracked and not try to fight to get out of prison. You know, it's the it, youth hey, before uh, get off the porch. Hmm. What are you saying, Bobby? Uh, oh, as as to the youth, right? I, this from the heart and soul, right? Uh, to the young kids, it's it's rule number one that the young kids don't follow is to listen to your mother, right? Uh, we often rebel against our mothers because we feel like she old fashioned or she don't know what she's talking about or whatever, right? She tell you don't get in the car with that guy. Your mother always say don't ride with that friend there a bad seed. She don't want you to go with them. We jump in the car anyway. When we get locked up or something, our mother is our fir the first one there. She don't tell you, I told you so or nothing. She has beat her to support us, right? Our mother is our first teacher, right? So if this lady taught you out of the womb, she only got your best intentions in heart. So the problem with the younger generation is that 
we often disregard our mother and we run the streets and do what we're doing. But the very people that we run the street with don't have our best interests at heart. But our mother loves us, though. So we listen to our mother. That's that always keep us safe, man. So uh, I know people don't want to hear that as youngsters. It's like, man, I'd rather ride with my friends and do that with your friends, man. Ain't finna do time with you. Your mother is. I'm saying that's right. another thing about doing time, right? Uh, keep uh, all us that was in prison. We don't do time by ourselves, man. Our families do this time with us. Our wives do this time with us. Our kids and our grandmothers, they all do time with us, man. They hurt too. They long for us to get here, man. We don't do, we don't sit in the cell and want to get out by ourselves. We got people on the outside fighting for us and spending money, uh, coming to see us. They hurt. So our crimes, you know, like me, I'm guilty of my crime, right? I call myself robbing somebody that was out doing good. I didn't know what they was doing, but it don't matter what they was doing or what my excuse was. I robbed somebody for their hard-earned money. So in my mind, I was going to gain a quick dollar, right? But when you end up committing a crime, you lose everything because when you get locked up, your family got to try to get your lawyer. They may have to mortgage their house. You got to buy a TV, a radio, commissary. You got to get all this stuff coming through the door. So whatever little uh, thousand, $2,000 you're going to gain for that crime, you're going to spend that and more in a, your first week of incarceration. So committing crime is not worth it. Crime doesn't pay, man. No matter what nobody say, when you sit in that law library and you sit next to these dudes who do may have uh, 60 years because he sold drugs for the third time in the school zone. He got 60 years with no parole. So there's some people that said no way to keep their life without or the equivalent of life without for selling drugs. It wasn't always a violent crime. So when you sit in the next to these dudes and they fight for their life, you realize the impact of crime, how, how quick how quick the system can catch you up. And then when you stuck there, it's it's so hard to get out, man. Me and you was exception to the rule, man. We know so many people that didn't get out that's still fighting. So uh, it's hard, man. It takes it takes a it's a David against the live battle, man. Right. Discipline, patience, God, prayer, all that's real. It counts. That's all. That's all we had, and that's all we walked to y'all with every day, and we held on to that, and we kept each other strong with that, and uh, we crossed. Uh, we was from two different cities, man. You know, people yeah. in prison. They, they tend to hang with cliques. Uh, people from St. Louis hang with St. Louis people. Me and you from different cities, but we had a common bond, man. And that was faith really? getting out of prison. So right, we crossed, right. crossed those boundaries, got together as friends, walked mm-hmm. the yard every day, and our hope and, and, and advice was books, faith. And it gave us, we just being around each other with them type of spirits, man, we kept our, our hope alive just by feeding each other that hope and faith, man. And that's what right. got us to the other side, man. Right. right, right. And as far as these kids and trying to get them before they get off the porch and make those mistakes that can cost them their life or decades in jail, we got to focus and tap in on skill sets and what we can do in these schools. To tell you the truth, I really feel like in the urban schools, there should be classes for kids, and tests and everything else. Not the, uh, I got a website out there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like everybody who's watching this, the, the website is called Juvenile Lifers Without Parole Speaks. And that website, I mean, li- Juvenile Lifers Speaks, Juvenile Lifers Without Parole Speaks.org. But on that website, it's 10 lessons for kids to stay out of trouble, man, and telling them my life experience and how I end up in prison with all this time, right? Uh, Also, I'm working with a juvenile administrator and a St. Louis school, uh, city public schools about a class called How Do We Change the World, right? Uh, You know, instead of sending kids, suspending them, you create classes that teach them that they can have power. If, for instance, it may be potholes on their streets or a no-stop sign where people had kids that got ran over by cars. These kids can get together, sit in the classroom, write their city alderman, their mayor, and get those people to put stop signs to fix those potholes. Kids have unlimited power if they tap into it. But like you said, Keith, we got to teach them in the schools, right? So yeah. uh, that idea you said, I implemented, I mean, I gave it to the administrators and I waited on them to get back with me on, on that, how we implement that in the schools. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, I want to say this because I hear what you guys are saying about the youth. And yes, our, our youth 
in our communities. They need a lot of a lot of help. But what I want to let the people know, and for those of you who are just tuning in, uh, I'm Latara Carnes, the co-host for Mr. Keith Carnes today. Thank you for tuning in to KKFI 90.1 FM. And we are interviewing Mr. Bobby Bostic. Mr. Bostic was just released after serving 27 years of a 241-year sentence that he was given as a youthful offender. Now, Bobby, I want to say this. Um, in 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court ruling mandated parole hearings for juveniles who have been sentenced to life without parole. But that necessarily didn't apply to you because you weren't given life without parole technically, but the amount of time that the judge gave you was basically life without parole. So tell us what happened. Um, what happened that resulted in your release? Okay, it was, it was a, like I said, it took a David versus Goliath battle. Basically, uh, in Missouri, when your peers are with, it, it's nothing you can do, basically. Uh, it's, it seldom happened. It, it, it'd be one out of uh, 7,000 after your appeals denied that you get any relief in any court. So therefore, when uh, when the U.S. Supreme Court said that you can't have life without parole in, in Missouri, they said uh, you, you don't have life without parole. You have 241 years. They didn't say that it was equivalent. Now they said you don't have life without. So therefore, I was stuck in prison. So it took it took 11 years after that case came out for me to get any relief. And it wasn't a direct result of, of that ruling. They didn't say we we doing this because of that ruling. Uh, you had sympathetic lawmakers that said, okay, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law all merged in this situation, and this guy got life without, technically, and it's the injustice. When the judge came back and said, okay, I made a mistake, uh, we didn't understand brain science, uh, that, that convinced the lawmakers to say, okay, we got to do something about this. And they changed the law. Now, when, when the law changed, in Missouri, it's not easy to let uh, criminals out. But uh, when the law changed, it, it's not a get out of free jail court either. You you, you don't just get out because they changed the law. So therefore, that's where other, the other work had to come in. Uh, what was Bobby Bossy doing while he was incarcerated? Does he deserve a second chance? Now, mind you, I never had a chance to go home. So there's no reason for me to have good behavior in prison. There was no reason for me to graduate college. I have uh, attained, I had attained my associate's degree uh, years before this law passed. Uh, I'm working on my bachelor's degree now. So at the time I went up for pro, I was like seven, eight classes away from uh, gaining my bachelor's degree. I was, I'm the author of 15 books. Seven of those books were published when I went up for the pro board. I had did uh, all these organizations, uh, thousands of hours of restorative justice, Every class that the DOC had, I took it. But I was never doing that to impress anyone or to make parole because I was never going home. I was never going in front of the parole board. So uh, despite me never going home, I had changed my life, man. So the system don't rehabilitate the man. The man rehabilitate himself. Uh, Keith Kearns was someone who, in prison, he was a rehabilitated man. But he had, what reason did he have to rehabilitate himself? He could have been bitter. He could have said, man, I, I didn't do this, man. They got me up for something I didn't do. I don't care. You, you want to treat me like that, then I'm going to be like this. That's what most guys did with they that was innocent. They just uh, turned it out and just said, okay, and became ignorant themselves or violent themselves because they feel like, okay, nobody don't care. I'm here for something I didn't do. I don't care either. But he did the opposite of that. When I saw Keith Kearns, he'll be walking with his Bible. Uh, he, was, he lived this word. He lived what he was trying to live, and he had to live in faith to get home, man, because it was a hard battle. And I salute you, brother, for holding on and getting out there. You look good on the other side, bro. Right on, man. So do you. So do you. You were mentioning lawmakers, and I was uh, want to salute those Republican. Um, Nick Schroer, is that yeah, how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah Barbara Schroer. Washington. Yeah, they, they co-signed they co the bill, man. Yeah, a big part of this being successful. Yes, and you know what? I, I most definitely um, want to, to to send a big shout out to Barbara Washington. She's a state rep who is now actually a senator. And so um, she's done some great things in Kansas City. And to know that she actually played a part in this is really awesome because I didn't know that until I went to research your case. So 
Miss Washington, if you're listening, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, and Nick, thank you too, as yeah. well. Because had they not done this, you would not be free sitting here doing this interview today, probably. So most definitely. So Mr. Bostic, moving forward, um, I heard you mention a website that you have. Um, can you give that website to the listeners so that they can know and they can go back and look at your website and see what you're doing now that you have regained your freedom? It's like a, if you look at my Instagram, I just released a video now. You have mentioned that you have a website, okay? Yeah. Can you go ahead yeah. and give our listeners, tell them how they would get to your website, what your website address is, and then tell us a little bit about your website and what you're doing now that you're a free man. Okay, uh, my website, uh, well, years ago, um, as far as I wanted my situation to be known to the world about what, what was going on and what I was doing to fight my fight for prison. So uh, with, the, with the help of outside supporters, I created a website called freebobbybossy.com. Uh, on that website, I was just listing my accomplishments and what was going on with, with the injustice of a 16-year-old being given 241 years uh, for a non-homicide crime. Uh, eventually, that turned into Free Bobby Bostic on Instagram and Free Bobby Bostic on Twitter. Uh, those those social media handles was just to let the world know, like, this is what uh, was being done for us to fight for this guy's freedom, and this is what he's doing to fight for his freedom. Okay. Well, you know what? I know that we are coming close to the end of the show. So, Keith, Mr. Carnes, I'm going to yeah. let you take over and get ready to close us out. But, Bobby... I personally want to thank you for coming on the show today. I appreciate you. I wish you the best. Of course, if there's anything that the Casey Freedom Project can do to assist you in any of your endeavors, please reach out to Keith and I and let us know, okay? Okay, I appreciate it, Keith. And yeah, yeah, it's good seeing you too, man. We got the link up. I'm going to have to come up there. You come down here. But uh, I'm glad we're free, man. We got to get back. There's so many different ways to do it. We got to do it because we done fought this battle together. It ain't over. It ain't over, man. We got we got people we left behind that we got to try to help get out too, as well. Uh, to all the viewers, also, I hope that y'all can check out my books. They on Amazon.com. I have eight books out on Amazon.com. Please support that and just follow me on social media at Free Bobby Boston. Okay, and everyone, we want to thank every, all the listeners for the support. And, and for tuning in. And for tuning in. For tuning in to the show. And Keith, you did a wonderful job. It's your first show. You did a wonderful job, Bobby. I think he did a wonderful job. What you think? I think we did. Keith, did your Everyone thing. Did. First show, man. I yeah. salute you, man. So, right. everyone, thank you for Take tuning easy, in. Thank you, man. Thank you for tuning in to KKF 90.1 FM. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. What am I gonna do now? Am I gonna make it? Somewhere, somehow Well, maybe I'm not supposed to know We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about something to talk to your neighbors about and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the guest of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to help produce the show, you can send an email inquiry or comment to kkfi.org forward slash contact. This is Jeff reminding you 
Our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Chains CD. 